Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. Today we're going to be talking about marriage, marriage advice, and particularly marriage advice for men. And alhamdulillah, we have a guest on to discuss these issues, Ahsan Irfan. Thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. Jazakallah for having me. Alhamdulillah, my pleasure. So, yeah, I want to talk about first, what is your cultural background, um, which may or may not be relevant. I'm, I believe we're both Westerners, right? But if there is a particular cultural background that you come from, um, what is that? Um, Bismillah. Um, I actually was born in Karachi in Pakistan, and okay. uh, I grew up actually in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not exactly uh, Western in that same sense okay. that uh, perhaps you are, or even you know, first generation or second generation Americans and Canadians are. I am mm-hmm. zero generation. My uh, I wasn't born here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, in terms of marriage advice and all of that, I reflect a sort of traditional cultural understanding. Okay. Uh, if if I want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that okay, that's important to know. So you're not necessarily Western, specifically in a cultural sense, even though Western culture has spread all over the place, right? So when it comes to the marriage advice, so as you said, um, uh, Ahsan had a thread about being married for twelve years and some of the advice that he he is giving based on that, which we're going to get to in a bit, but. What was the, as you said, traditional? So what was the advice that you were given, both from the cultural aspect of, of how you grew up, but also um, I would assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you had some level of Western influence. So maybe we can we can touch on the culture that you came from and then move to what was the Western influence that you got. So... As far as personal advice when I was getting married, um, as far as that's concerned, so mm-hmm. going back 12 years, that makes it 2008. I got married at the end of 2008, which is which is the time when, when all of this, uh, um, how shall I put it, the uh, LGBTQ uh, mm-hmm. liberal... Um, influence on western muslims was just coming to the Mm -hmm. fore it hadn't yet fully begun Mm -hmm. and at that time one could make the case that there was really no need to give explicit advice Mm. uh, at least as far as um, people who grew up in traditional households uh, are concerned the only advice my mother actually gave me was Mm. uh, be a man and I instinctively knew what that meant because that behavior was modeled by my dad in the household. Mm, There was a very clear distinction uh, of behavior um, between what my mother would do in the house and what my dad would do in the house. Mm -hmm. And both were very, very distinct. And it helped, of course, that my mother didn't work. So Mm -hmm. she did not have that additional pressure of having to earn a living alongside my dad. My dad was always solely responsible for 
the finances in the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and both being a generation um, older than, see, I'm 35 now, almost 35 now. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, uh, the uncle uh, as far as other kids are concerned today. Now, my parents are a generation older than that. So you can probably imagine mm-hmm. that they don't hold the same set of, um, I want to say, cultural influences right. that I do. and kids who are in their 20s now and i apologize for saying kids it's just uh, no, no, it's just no. a thing on the tongue as far as i'm concerned you know people 15 years younger than right. me are kids right. right so um uh they they uh, uh, people in their 20s now or just coming into you know ending their teens now they have a different set of cultural assumptions mm-hmm. shall we say uh than what i have so obviously right. w- when i'm getting married even if I am given explicit advice, it's going to be very different. I think, I, I believe it is, um, there's a call from Sayyidina Ali. I'm not sure if it is, uh, if it is uh, entirely uh, true, but uh, the call is that if you're going to raise children, you should raise them uh, not as how you were raised because the circumstances mm-hmm. that you're, you're going to be raising them are going to be different mm-hmm. um, from the way you were raised. And that applies here. So even if my parents or my parents um, you know, elders at the time gave me any advice, it would entirely be irrelevant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not entirely, mm-hmm. but it would have to be fashioned in a manner that we can uh, we can digest today, right? That, right. And, and, and that's that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, it wouldn't address because even if the, if the advice was good, it would still need to be tailored and address the specific concerns of the time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I have this- to, I have to mm-hmm. add one thing. I'm sorry. Um, this is this is a bit important because the, the, the assumption that there should be advice given when mm-hmm. somebody is getting married mm-hmm. uh, is predicated on the idea that there is something wrong to begin with. My parents did right. not assume that there would be anything wrong. Uh, and alhamdulillah, in, uh, certainly in my marriage to my wife, um, there isn't anything. Uh, there's an, there, there, there isn't anything where my wife is questioning about, you know, whether the hijab is fard or not, or mm-hmm. you know, whether uh, whether I should be disciplining the kids or anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. So I don't have those issues. So my parents were right in the assumption that I should. There's no need to give me any advice. Mm, interesting. Now. Right, right. It's, uh, the the cultural and and I think Sheikh Noor talks about this in this in his book as well. Mm-hmm. See without shore, the section in marriage. Mm-hmm. Then in days of yonder, um, you didn't give people marriage advice. It was just assumed that a man would be a man and a woman would be mm-hmm. a, a woman. Right. So because that is being subverted at the moment. Um, and and when men behave in a manner that is unbecoming of them as men, and women behave in a manner that is unbecoming of them as women, mm-hmm. then there is a problem, and you see that reflected in divorce rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that that's an interesting point. Um, so I would just quickly ask. Of course, we're we're not going to get too much into your personal life, but just because it's relevant, does your wife come from the same cultural background as you yes okay 100 percent. okay so that definitely helps with having some sort of cultural cohesion and understanding um that that maybe wouldn't require that advice and 
being also that you are coming from an intact family that helps a lot. Exactly. Um, right. So, so that's a really that's a really good point about uh, even questioning the need for marriage advice. So, uh, just one last point on that. Then, did your father not give you explicit advice? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, I I definitely get what you're saying that it's it's not necessarily a need if it's been modeled already. So. When you are thinking about the general, even if it wasn't explicit advice necessarily, but just the general sentiment around marriage and how a marriage should be and marriage advice, if you did hear anything explicit from the Western context or the modern context, how would you basically summarize what what that advice is and then maybe also specifically to men? You're referring to specifically uh, stuff that I would have heard um, from a Western point of view, correct? Yeah, just would have heard casually on TV or maybe Western friends or Westernized people. Um, yeah. To be to be fair, I we don't have a television in the home. Um, okay. We don't expose ourselves to Western media per se as much. So if there was anything mm-hmm. explicit, I do remember... Um, uh, attending a seminar by Sheikh Faraz Rabani in in oh. Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it was your run of the mill. Be kind to your wife, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, be gentle. All the the things that should be happening in a marriage, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And at the time, I didn't like. I, I I didn't think that this was quote unquote wrong advice, and I still don't think it is wrong advice. But right. if I if if Sheikh Faraz was to hold that seminar today. Mm-hmm. I would tell him that there are a lot of other things that he should be adding to that. I mean, the, 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 the seminar had, you know, okay, here's the contractual details of what a nikah is supposed to include. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, uh, there, I, I believe there was a, a, a section on disciplining the kids, but it was, you know, like what general, uh, what imams usually say, you know, you know, I, he didn't quite go as far as, well, don't beat your wife, but there was an implication there that, uh, that men are naturally aggressive and they're going to, yeah. you know, if, if not restrain, they're going to play that out in their, in, uh, in their marital and uh, domestic lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if he was to give that same seminar today, I would strongly advise him to consider the fact uh, if we work backward, if we work causally backwards from divorce rates and start asking the questions to why divorce is happening, mm-hmm. um, ex- accepting those cases where there is actual domestic abuse, mm-hmm. why is that divorce happening? Why is it that at the end of seven, eight, ten years, uh, a man is uh, he get he, he's handed divorce papers because his wife is unsatisfied right what is that satisfaction that she wants mm-hmm. from his, from her man and that has right. to be factored in and and and, my, and and because um i have very very pe- uh, close people people very close to me that have been divorced one of my best friends is divorced Mm-hmm. family members divorced i'm talking about here in the west i'm not talking about right. back uh, back in pakistan or dubai or wherever mm-hmm. um the, the the fact that men have become goody two shoes is the term i want to use okay. right um catering to every, like in one case i know for example 
after getting the nikah done, the woman started, you know, oh, well, I don't think hijab is followed anymore. And that's a very clear cut case, right? Like, okay, okay. You, you know, you're bordering on kufr. <laughs> there's, uh, there's really no point in the marriage going forth. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is after they got married? Yeah, yeah, they had a nikah and they they didn't move in yet, and then the girl started questioning basic uh, basic faraid of the deen, and then mm-hmm. you have to ask, okay, like where do we go? In mm-hmm. in in other cases, um, I, I, I've generally seen that the, the the husband is like, well, what should I do? Should I give her flowers? Should I buy her chocolate? You know, the typical mm-hmm. sort of. Um, I assume this is what's being told on the television by Dr. Phil or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then you have to wonder, well, if you're not going to draw some lines in the sand, mm-hmm. then it, it, it makes sense that, you know, the wife is not going to respect you um, as, yeah. as the leader of the household. I mean, right. it's, it's like, I mean, the, the analogy is a bit, um, I don't know. It, it, it might seem offensive to some people, but the the analogy I want to use is that of children, right? And this works both ways. This works, you know. The, this I mean, this works uh, if a man is applying boundaries to his wife, if the wife is applying boundaries to her husband. Mm-hmm. The analogy that works best, in my opinion, is the is the analogy of children. You know, when you have mm-hmm. kids, I don't know if you if you have kids or not, but certainly um, in my case, and I've seen it with others as well. I'll, I'll give you an example from my own son. My son loves to jump on the sofa. Like he's, okay. he's absolutely insane about that thing. Right? <laughs> okay. Now it, I, I can tell him once don't Muhammad don't, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to jump on the sofa and he gets off. But then five minutes later, he'll mm-hmm. be on it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll stop him. 10 minutes later, he's on it again. Now mm-hmm. I'm not applying a consequence here. I'm not saying mm-hmm. Muhammad, if you're not going to stop doing this, you are going uh, to your room, and you're going to be grounded for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You have to do that with children. Um, you extrapolate that to, to adults as well. I mean, this works. Mm-hmm. Uh, this works in males, male bonding experiences as well. Um, okay. Suppose that you know your best friend betrays you. What are you going to do? You're going to say no. It's all okay. No, you're not. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as as a human being. If somebody violates some egregious boundary of yours, you're not going to just sit there and say, well, it's all okay, I forgive you. No, even if you forgive them, you still have to apply a um, a consequence to the boundary violation. Right. I, I was actually very surprised that that particular point was what everybody took issue with. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that's a good point. And, you know, I... It's a, it's a difficult conversation to have because I think that in the West, maybe our abuse rates are just very high. Who knows? But that is a part of the consciousness um, for women is this fear of being abused. So any sort of rhetoric that seems harsh in any way, it's going to sort of make everyone pivot to domestic violence, which, which probably isn't fair. But um, that is a part of the cultural consciousness at all times. Um, but we're going to get into the thread in a bit, but I did want to maybe expand on some of the things that you spoke about. Um, well, first, I think the, this idea of setting boundaries in the same way that you would with children or really that you would with anyone, it's crucial. But I think that maybe part of the issue in the West in particular um, for 
since the age of romanticism, right, in Europe, then there's been this idea that marriage is about love and romance. So romance or, or romantic love really has no bounds. So when you try to have a conversation about boundaries, it's kind of a, a difficult thing to really address. Um, when you were sort of reading, and I guess I'll, I'll read you know, directly from the, the tweets in a moment, but when you were reading some of the responses about boundaries, what was maybe the general sentiment or people's general concern about that issue? The, uh, the 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 thing that was the most consistent was there were two things mm. that this is emotional abuse and this mm. is emotional manipulation right okay. now mm. I get that this is a it is a manipulation for sure mm. but just like a knife can be used to kill people and a knife can be used to uh, you know cut a cake or something like that a tool is a tool right. it's it's value neutral until you actually use it. Um, that's as for, that's what I'm going to say about the uh, the emotional manipulation bit. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm using boundary management with like with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's take an egregious example. Let's say my son was bullying someone at school. Mm-hmm. Am I not supposed to apply uh, boundary management there? Am I not supposed to emotionally manipulate him mm-hmm. uh, into behaving in a manner that is constructive? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I I have to apply a boundary there. You know, the same mm-hmm. the same thing. Uh, applies uh, to wives in in a marital context, and I'm I'm gonna, you know, um, also say that the same thing actually applies uh, for women vis-a-vis their husbands. Mm-hmm. You know, when we speak of uh, domestic abuse, yeah. one of the things that I, I found consistently is that for whatever reason, societal pressure, or whether she doesn't have another income, or whatever the case may be, um, she ends up with the the abuser uh and that is a problem and now that's not necessarily a case of her not applying boundaries but let us suppose that there was no other reason mm-hmm. um f- for her to stay with that uh, stay with an abuser what is she what is she supposed to do what is her boundary there and what is the consequence of her uh of of her husband abusing her the, the boundary is that he's not supposed to be hitting her and what's the consequence just leave now, is if is if that is a, a manipulation, emotional manipulation? I don't see why that's a wrong thing, right? Yes, and th- it's funny because this is a conversation I had a short back and forth I had with someone on Twitter um, when I was basically saying exactly that that if your husband becomes abusive, you need to just leave. And some people saying, "Oh, well, it's not that easy," and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think anyone claims that it's easy, but it is. It does come to this point of boundaries, like you said that as a human being, your boundary should be abuse. And I think that everyone sort of has the right to figure out what their, what their boundaries are. Um, you know, may, maybe there are some exceptions, but I, this issue of boundary, it is interesting because I think that in many other situations and people would probably agree with you, um, but something about it specifically being given as advice to men for their wives, I think makes it... Um, particularly egregious for some reason and and to that i'm going to say it's because uh, at least in my experience what i'm seeing around me Mm. the boundaries are not being applied and consequences are not being applied is the reason i say that Mm -hmm. if you're if you're not going to apply boundaries in your relationship there is no way that that relationship is going to be healthy and Mm -hmm. 
and then that will spiral down into into chaos. And you're right about the um, this whole idea of marriage as a romantic idea, where these poets pushing this certain kind of narrative, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and that's that. But the other point I wanted to um, come back to was um, the emotional abuse. I yeah, it, that was a bit surprising. Okay, it's emotional manipulation, but as I said, that you know, emotional manipulation is a tool. Um, but emo- this one threw me off. How is it emotional abuse? What mm-hmm. exactly am I doing mm-hmm. that can be considered abusive? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not saying. You know, let, let, let's imagine. Actually, I'll give. I'll give um, one uh, example okay. from my personal life. Uh, when we first got married, um, and and um, I have to preface this remark by saying that my wife also belongs to a very very traditional family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the uh, uh, my father-in-law, a doctor, he's the breadwinner of the home, still is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he has three daughters. They're all married now, mashallah. Um, my mother-in-law, a very traditional woman, she knows her job is, and she, it's not like she's doing the cooking and cleaning. In Pakistan, they have, mm-hmm. if you're reasonably well off, you can get servants, you can hire servants. Okay. But she still has to manage the home. Right. She still has to make sure that the food is being cooked and, you know, the, the dishes are getting cleaned and so forth. So she has a lot of domestic help. Mm-hmm. And so for, for my wife, the, um, the feminine behavior was modeled in their home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Now, when we first got married, the one issue that, uh, that came up was why I wasn't purchasing a house on mortgage. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, a couple of days, I said, no, you know, it's haram. Like, okay, even if you take the other opinion, I don't take that opinion, right? I do not want to face Allah on the day of judgment and have to tell Allah that, you know, Allah, <laughs> yeah, Allah, it was because of my because of my wife that I, you know, bought a house on my mortgage. It's, it's no, I mean, this is this is where I'm going to draw. Now, did I do anything drastic? No, I, all I said was, look, if you're going to continue nagging me over this, then I'm just going to come home late from work. <laughs> Withdrawal of attention, as I said. And, you know, within a week, she just, yeah, okay, you know, I agree. Now, it, this is like, I mean, tell me, is this abuse? Like, m- on an issue mm-hmm. that is, uh, that has to do with the halal and the haram, mm-hmm. I am applying a, I have a boundary and I'm applying a consequence, namely withdrawal of attention. Mm-hmm. And and then she comes around to my view is like mm-hmm. I mean was I abusive here like was I was I gaslighting her or was I mm-hmm. was I threatening her with divorce No, <laughs> I mean you know immediately if, when 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 people see something like that they they go towards the most egregious extreme right. and then they read that into your uh, into whatever it is that you said mm-hmm. why that happens is beyond me I don't know Allahu alama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, this, this is a tough, I certainly couldn't say right or wrong, but I think that the issue that might come up with pe- for people is that ideally, or maybe this is a Western ideal, if there's an issue in the marriage, then with enough reason and rationality and conversation, you can come to the right conclusion. So there, it, there does feel maybe to Western sensibilities that there's something wrong with, with one person making kind of a unilateral decision and then just apply, applying consequences instead of 
talking it out. We assume that we are rational people. Mm-hmm. I think a half a, de- a half a century of behavioral economics has shown that we are not. We mm-hmm. have subconscious biases, even if we, you know, in, in Western society, we have this, um, you know, lip service. It's not really real, but there's a lip service that's paid to science as this some sort of ideal that we are supposed to look up to. Mm-hmm. And people like Sam Harris and Lawrence Krauss or whatever are these ideals. And, you know, this is the age of rationality or what have you, all of this. You know, I, I, I want to be really indelicate here and call it all garbage because it is garbage Mm. and and so even if you're a muslim and you have you know a strong sense of deen it kind of seeps into you right right and and then you expect that people are because this is you know you're thinking this way that other people are going to going to think the same way and the, Mm. the fact of the matter is that human beings are not rational and yeah, I, I, I have absolutely no uh, qualms about sitting down and talking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but at a certain point, you have to draw a line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, what if talking it out? Like one, of, one of the most common advices that uh, I think, like I've heard this, I've heard um, the Mashak say this, is that you involve your, if, God forbid, there is a, a marital dispute, you involve the parents and you, you sort of, then you let them make the decision about what is to happen in the household because things have gotten so bad. At that point, you are actually handing over the reins of your marriage to somebody who is higher in authority uh, than you. Mm-hmm. And the reason that, that that exists as a piece of advice is precisely because uh, you know it, you become so emotional, both men and women. And I, I don't take that, you know, that position that, you know, somehow men are more rational than women are. No, that's not, that's not my position, but you know, because, because emotions get involved so deeply in a marital dispute, I've seen marital disputes happen. I've seen happen, uh, them happen in front of me live, like <laughs> man and woman fight. Like it's, it's, it's like the most sad thing to see ever. Yeah. But when the elders get involved, why, why do the, the elders have to get involved precisely because the emotions are so strong that somebody else needs to see things clearly. Why do you go to a, a marriage counselor? You go to a marriage counselor because he or she is not going to be emotionally directly emotionally involved in those mm-hmm. in those disputes and can see things clearly. He or she can help set the boundaries. He or, or she can help set uh, appropriate consequences. So this idea that we, we've mm-hmm. uh, somehow become more rational as a result of going to university is just it, it, it's just it's saying that you know hundreds of years of um, of uh, cultural influences, you know. I, um, uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go all evil psych here, mm-hmm. but um, even if we even if we discount uh, anything that evil psych has to say about all of this, um, you still have thousands of years of recorded history that tells us that human beings there's there's a consistency to to, to behavioral patterns, mm-hmm. um, and to assume that somehow we're just gonna throw away thousands of years of programming just because we now go to university. I'm sorry that, you know, that's just, that just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see your point. I mean, I like the point that you made about people can go to psychologists or to their parents and 
sort of defer to them to apply consequences and, and boundaries. And but I think it gets to this point of the Western, I don't know, mindset. We're just generally against hierarchies or hierarchies make us uncomfortable. So I want to talk specifically about this idea of the husband being of that being a specific role, right? And there having to be some leadership there. Uh, what do you do? You see the the conflict as I'm um, pointing it out, and how I guess how does a man who wants to be in that role? How does he? have the balance between fulfilling that leadership role while also being kind, sweet and all the things that, that the West idealizes. It, it's, uh, you know, I, I really have a hard time articulating this because I've seen it with my dad. So my, mm -hmm. my reference point is not, you know, okay, here's what's written in a book. Here's this mm -hmm. marriage advice. Um, written by Sheikh Fulan in some work. No, I have a direct behavioral model for me to follow. Yeah. So I'm going to defer to that model. And the, the balance is, is based on issues. Mm -hmm. So as far as my dad uh, is concerned, one thing he always keeps close to his chest is his boundary is finances. He's mm. never going to let anybody close to the finances. He's okay. not going to tell us, you know, when we were kids, mom would <laughs> continuously ask him, well, how much money do we have in the bank? And he'd just stay quiet. You know, that, and that's where I learned the whole withdrawal of attention thing. He's just, you know, this is a boundary. I don't want to violate it. And I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm going to withdraw my attention from you. Now, mm. that is the quote unquote hard part of it is, I mean, when you, when I say it, like that it doesn't really sound that hard you know it's not like he's you know shouting at my mother <laughs> saying how dare you ask about the finances no he's mm -hmm. he's being mum about it he, he's not a question he likes to entertain now how did he balance that you know by taking my mum out on uh on anniversaries they used to uh <clears throat> uh they used to go to restaurant like fancy restaurant i'm not talking about kfc or anything like mm -hmm. that but fancy restaurants every year um every, every month uh actually he would take the kids out we're three brothers um we used to go out like wh whatever we would ask him within bounds whether it was my mom who wanted like a a ring or an earring or jewelry he spent lavishly on us you know mm -hmm. within bounds like it's not like you know because he was applying a certain kind of boundary that 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 permeated into into the rest of his existence. It, it's it's you do it on an issue by issue basis. You're not you don't say, you know, it's not it's not a contradiction that if I'm going to apply a boundary in a certain issue, that that necessarily follows uh, in all, all the other aspects of of my marital life. Mm. Um, you know, that's a bit of a stretch to say that just because I'm applying boundaries here necessarily means that I, I'm going to be, you know, stricter, hard about it in other uh, areas. Like me personally, like my, my wife loves chocolate and I, I spend a lot, our, our budget on chocolate is quite high. I, I don't mind doing that. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's, you have to look at it. On a, now, now one thing um, I was actually before coming uh, online, I was reading, rereading Sheikh Noor's section 
mm. on uh, on on marriage advice uh, mm. in his book, mm-hmm. and um, it, he says exactly the same thing, right? Mm. I mean that you know the man sets the direction, he sets the boundaries. Mm. You know, it's like you choose a school of law, and both the husband and even if, like, say for example, in the in our case, it's not a it's not a problem. Both of us are Hanafi, mm. but um, let's say, suppose that you know the wife is a Shafi'i, husband is Maliki, then they get to decide with, well which one of the schools is. So who, who's who's in charge here? Who's leading the discussion? It's it's the husband who's who's doing the leadership, kind of thing. Mm. But at the same time. Sheikhno also says that you know um, you you don't spend begrudgingly on your on your wife and kids. You be generous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, within bounds, it doesn't mean that you know your son comes one day and says, "Well, I want the latest iPhone," and you right. just oh, sure, son, I'll get you the no. You don't do that. You're you're gonna be you're gonna be spending on your family within reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That it would not necessarily apply to all areas. And since you mentioned it, inshallah, I'll just read a little bit from that that section, that line that he speaks specifically about the husband. So this is from Shekhno's book, um, See Without Sure. So he says that the husband be the man of the family, the way of the prophets, Sufi sheikhs, and of Islam is that the man leads, supports, guides, and takes care of his wife and family. Uh, and, and I think that is probably a really good summary to lead, to support, to guide, and to take care of. Um, I think the leadership part is what a lot of people may take issue with today. Uh, I want to go to this point that you mentioned about divorce, and um, then we'll sort of come back and after that and, and just go through the, the tweets and maybe a bit of commentary on that. So just on the point of divorce, I think it's an interesting thing that you spoke about. Oh, yes, and, and also the idea of men being too nice. Um, that that somehow that may be wrapped up in the divorce rate. So, but just to give my my own point of view before um, you know, I want to hear your your commentary on that. Um, for me, I believe that one of the reasons divorce rates are so high, and in particular, women are the ones filing for divorce, is because and, and maybe I haven't looked at the emotional side of it too much, but to me, in our times, then you have a situation where. Men, the role of men largely hasn't changed. They're expected to be the breadwinner or to financially contribute, but women have had to take on that role as well, you know, quote unquote, had to uh, take on that role as well. And so now women are sort of stuck with the job of the past, taking on most of the traditional role, as well as taking on part of the man's traditional role. And I think that for a lot of women, modern marriage doesn't really offer them a unique benefit as it did for women of the past who obviously getting married at the very least guaranteed them financial security. So so that's been my uh, main perspective as to why the divorce rates is so high um, in terms of why women are filing so much more. So I want to hear your perspective on that as well as um, were you tying in this idea of men possibly being too nice as a part of why women are initiating divorce? I actually agree to a large extent with um, with that analysis. Where if you uh, now the, uh, I'm going to I'm going to divide this into two and say, you know, there's a time before the uh, uh, what's the term that they use the Cultural Revolution of the 60s and the 70s. There's a time before that. 
And then there's the time after that when the laws start changing. You have Roe versus Wade and, you know, having all, all those things. You know, um, before that point, and I think this is, I'm not idealizing um, the past in any, uh, any meaningful sense here. In fact, I'm going to so far as say that because um, because marriage was a transactional affair, mm. marriage worked um, because women, you know, for one reason, uh, one reason or another, did not work, could not work. You know, if you're talking about hard labor, that's definitely a place that a woman's not going to go. Um, if you're talking about, you know, what we call knowledge work today, you didn't really have that kind of a category back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, mostly before World War II, what was it that women actually worked as, you know, secretaries, teachers, nurses, I mean, and, and that's largely, largely uh, reflected even today. Like teachers, the teaching profession has like 90% of them are women, nurses, mm-hmm. 90% of them are, you know, you, 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 that's reflected. So, in, in the old way of doing things, the fact that the woman could not work outside masked the the fundamental issue, which is that mm-hmm. the genders are very different from each other. Now, mm-hmm. once the once you have knowledge work and things that women can do, um, and you have the laws that are now basically, uh, you know, there's nobody in their right mind is going to say that you know, legally speaking, women do not have equal rights to men here in the West. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now what that, you know, what that happens is, is that mask has now gone. Now women know that they don't really need a man because mm-hmm. they can, they can, um, they can work. So I agree with that anal- uh, analysis, but at the same time, I'm going to say, you know, as much as, as much as my, my perspective is colored, with um with cases of people who are divorced because they're goody two shoes or whatever mm-hmm. i actually know of couples where both the man and the woman work and yet they have the same traditional idea of marriage that the man's the leader mm-hmm. and the woman uh for lack of a better term is the follower mm-hmm. and they work beautifully mm-hmm. and and i i i have an idea as to why that works but if i start going down that direction then we're going to have to open the can of worms that is feminine nature versus masculine nature Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm I'm assuming you know uh jordan peterson's basic criteria here not criteria the the mythological descriptions of the feminine as the the uh as a symbolic representation of chaos and you know the masculine is a symbolic representation of order if Mm -hmm. i go it's if I start going down that route, you will be canceled. <laughs> I, I, I'm <laughs> sure of that, right? So I, I don't want to go that route. I'll do that on my Twitter timeline. But if we start opening that can of worms and, you know, uh, there's a feminine nature, there's a masculine nature, there's a way the feminine nature influences the masculine nature, there's a way that the masculine nature influences the feminine nature, mm-hmm. you know, it all boils down to one word, and that is attraction, and there is a science behind mm-hmm. attraction, attraction between a man and a woman, there is, like, it's not some, you know, mystery that, you know, you know the, the whole idea that, oh, I fell, fell in love with her, looking at her, um, you know, fell in love in, at first sight, or whatever the phrase is, 
um, there is a science as to how that happens. It's a probabilistic science, mm -hmm. but there are certain clear streams um, of, uh, I want to say, data that you can analyze mm -hmm. uh, to see how, how attraction works. And, and, and that's, that's part of and, and I think we're slowly getting into some of the later points that I mentioned in my thread mm -hmm. is, I mean, we can, if you re if you want to look at marriage as a transactional thing, then yeah, you know, women working today is contributing to that, that uh, the divorce, the high divorce rates. But that's, you know, if you're, if you, and this is where my mother's advice of being a man comes in, mm -hmm. is that if you're being a proper, if you're, if you're exhibiting proper masculine behavior, now it's going to be hard. I'm not suggesting that somehow just turning yourself into a, um, you know, 300 pound, uh, m you know, muscular whatever mm -hmm. will all of a sudden make the ladies flock to you. No, that's that's it. It's, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. um, just because you're now modeling masculine behavior doesn't mean that your marriage is all of a sudden going to become like a walk in the park. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. But it will go a long way towards helping. You know, why Why would a woman want to stay with a man if she has everything she needs outside of the marriage? Because she's attracted to him, mm. right? And that that is the thing, that is the thing that, you know, men, that is the other thing that men have to learn is how to keep their wives um, uh, attracted to them, satisfied, you know, both physically, both mentally, spiritually. I mean, th these things, I mean, this is not... This is what's missing, in my opinion, from the public discourse. And, you know, when I, when you read some, like, when I was, this was way before I got married, and Sheikh Faraz uh, Rabani, he told me, you know, I was very, like, upset about uh, certain um, topics in fiqh books being, like, so explicit with respect to intimacy. And he said, like, dude, <laughs> do you know Suyuti wrote like three works on this, right? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, subhanAllah. Like, mm -hmm. really? This is when, when, when I was like um, barely in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, I I, uh, I got my hands on a copy of, uh, of the Fahrasa of Ibn Ajiba, and there's one full chapter on it. Mm -hmm. And you know that because this was like my first exposure to this, my mind was blown. Like, mm -hmm. wow, Subhanallah! These guys are talking about things that you know even Westerners don't talk about. Right. right, and and the whole idea that these things were part of the curriculum in in the Madaris, like that blows my mind. Right. The fact that you know attraction, uh, how to keep your wife satisfied, how to how to be attractive to your wife, uh, how to model those behaviors was actually considered a central part of being a Muslim, how to, mm. you know, be a proper upstanding Muslim, uh, being a, a proper upstanding Muslim meant that you kept your wife satisfied for lack of a better term. Right. I mean, we're, we're getting very close to, um, we're getting very close to this, to, to, to a very uncomfortable idea that I, that mm. people, Muslims particularly do not like discussing in public, and that's the idea of of sexuality, right? I mean, mm -hmm. how many times actually? I, I mean, I, the the only time I've actually ever heard somebody openly talk about that is Sheikh Hamza Wal Nakbul um, mm -hmm. about uh, relationship between you know the sexual nature of the relationship between a man and a woman. That's mm -hmm. the only time I've ever heard it, 
other than that, it's just normal platitudes about like, okay, you know, you should be nice to your wife and get her flowers or get her chocolate or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and, you know, as a practical mm-hmm. sort of guideline as to how to conduct a marriage, I mean, there's, and, and this goes back to what the, the, you know, the hard side of marriage is and what the soft side of marriage is. Mm-hmm. The hard side of marriage being, you know, the, the man is supposed to provide the leadership and he's supposed to set the boundaries. He's, as a Muslim, he's supposed to make sure that the Sharia is being followed. Mm-hmm. You have all, all these things, but then there's the softer side of marriage. How do you sweet talk your wife? How do you model those behaviors that are going to keep her, uh, you know, emotionally and romantically satisfied? Those things are not discussed. Op- I mean, I, I'm not sure whether we should actually be discussing them, uh, you know, on a on a public forum per se. But the fact that you know, you know, you have marriage seminars titled "Fick of Seminar," sorry, "Fick of Marriage," and then the only thing you discuss is, you know, the contractual details of a nikah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that doesn't cut it, right? And and this goes back to the idea that in the older, you know, in the older times, these were behaviors that were modeled in the home. We. As as kids, us brothers did not have to be explicitly told that this is how you have to be romantic with your wife. Mm-hmm. I'm the dad here. Look at me how I'm behaving with your mother. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that th- this is how you model romantic behavior. For us now, we're so disconnected with that traditional idea of mm-hmm. of, uh, of being romantic to your wife that we have no clue what that actually looks like. Mm-hmm. The only cliche we can think of is, well, I, I better get my wife some flowers to apologize for something insensitive I said, you know, mm-hmm. last night or something mm-hmm. like that. So if yeah. if we're not going to openly talk about this, at least openly in the sense that, you know, men aren't going to be given. I mean, right now we can't behaviorally model this because mm-hmm. we just don't have those appropriate models. Mm-hmm. What we can do is articulate that behavior verbally and uh, and provide right. guidance to men that way, and then you know, you know, keep your fingers crossed and hope mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, you know Allah guides us towards that way where we are <laughs> romantic mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. our wives in a manner that is appropriate according to the Sharia. Yeah, that, that those are really good points, and I think at least beginning to have the conversation or people actively suggesting to Shayuk that this is information that's needed especially because we live in the West. So we are going to be inundated with those ideas from a Western perspective. And if you don't distinctly have an Islamic perspective, then that'll just be your default, which will likely be problematic. Um, so yeah, Hamnida, those, those were good points. Um, so you mentioned, I think, I guess we touched on this idea of the, or if you could just quickly, because you gave <coughs> that, you know of men who are divorced because oh subhanallah okay this is what i wanted to mention before i mentioned that um i wrote a blog post some time back on my blog just commenting on a new york times article where this woman spoke about you know there's this idea that more equality in the home would lead to better marriages and the the research outcome was really interesting because what they found and it, it was still a small sample size and so more studies have to be done But what they found is that even though it did give better quality marriages, like people would rate their happiness higher, the attraction lessened. Like the more that the man took on traditionally feminine roles, like I'll say traditionally feminine in our society, 
like vacuuming or folding clothes or what, just anything we associate with um, traditionally with women, the less attractive the woman was to him, but the happier the marriage was, you know, self-reported. So it is a, an interesting thing of, I think we don't realize sometimes how hard, how, uh, if we want to call it social uh, socialization, just how um deeply socialized we are into these positions that you can't just change it and then everything will be fine that a lot of even what you were saying about those those women who work in their marriages and and the marriages are fine um it definitely would be something to look into but what what i would automatically think about is even though they work maybe there's still a trust level they have with their husband maybe they still feel like they don't have to work, so they still have a trust in his leadership. Um, because I, I think it's not just about working, but it's also about does that woman trust that if she got pregnant, for instance, and, and wanted to stay home, that she could stay home? Um, or if she was tired or she got sexually harassed on the job, that she could trust that her husband would take care of everything and, and figure out how to do that. Um, I think that situation would be very different from a woman who's working and she feels she has to work because she doesn't think she can trust her husband to take on that responsibility. Um, so, so maybe your thoughts on that and then your thoughts on just that or maybe a bit of an explanation about um, how do you think for those men that you felt um, were divorced because they were too kind, how did that play out um, in, in your perspective? Okay, so I'm hearing uh, three separate things then. I'll just try to recap. One is my thoughts on on the situation where the woman doesn't really have to work but works anyway my thoughts on the mm -hmm. situation where the woman actually has to work because the dad is a deadbeat deadbeat um correct me if i've summarized that wrongly See, <laughs> I, wouldn't, that, that. I wouldn't say deadbeat but i would say either because of him or because of her then she doesn't trust that he'll be able to take on that responsibility. I, I can think of multiple situations here. Like, for example, what if the the husband's bedridden and the, the wife doesn't want to leave him out of loyalty or mm -hmm. or some emotion like that, right? Like, I can totally get that. It's not necessarily dead. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that is <yeah>. dead <laughs> and, and the last thing, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't catch the last thing. Can you repeat that for me? Oh, the last thing was um, this thing you mentioned about in your own life seeing men who were divorced. Oh, yes, because of being too good. <laughs> so, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Well, well, no, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a clear traject trajectory that's missing there. It kind of sounds odd when I say it that way, but like we'll, we'll get to that. Now, you're absolutely one hundred percent correct that if a woman does not have to work, but she works uh, for her own, you know self-fulfillment personal development what have you and um she feels secure in the protection that the man is going her man is going to provide for her then that's absolutely like yeah i i can totally see that and in fact the couple that i particularly have in mind that's exactly the kind of situation there mm. um it's it, one thing i will add there though is this it's not just about you know trusting that i mean of course at, at, at the at the end of it, yes, it is. But but you have to ask, why is she trusting him? Mm -hmm. Right? Is it like, I mean, she has no material reason to be with him. 
mm-hmm. other than maybe kids. But if if you remove the kids out of, uh, from the equation, what's what's the material reason that she needs to be with such a man? She can work on on her own. She doesn't need to be with him. But so why is she sticking around? And the reason that she's sticking around is because the husband models, you know, attractive behavior. Mm-hmm. She's quite frankly in love with him. Mm-hmm. Right? There's like I I see it no other way. Now, in in a situation where you know, let, let's consider the deadbeat dad for, as as an ex, a, a extreme egregious example here, mm-hmm. and she has to work because he is an egregious deadbeat dad. That's a very clear cut case. You know, just leave now. The other the other side of this is what if the husband is actually incapacitated? Now, then then that becomes a, a question of loyalty, right? Like in in our fiqh, there are certain very clear reasons why a woman can request a divorce uh, from a Shari court. You know, and one of the reasons is that he's he's sexually incapacitated, and that's a perfectly reason why she should separate from him. Now, would it, you know, if if staying married to him and serving his needs out of a sense of, you know, that Allah is going to reward me uh, in Jannah because of this, that's a perfectly viable reason. I mean, it, you you have to make sure that somehow you're making the finances um, work. But if that question is taken care of, I don't see why she has to move away from him, right? Now, is she well within her rights to do so? Absolutely, 100%. If, um, if there, I mean, I mean, it's not even a question here, right? Like, I, I don't want to qualify this one. Well, she can leave if, because no, it's, it's a right granted to her by the Sharia. Right. And that's the end of that, right? I mean, I, I don't think we have to make this any more complicated than, than, than it needs to be. Our fiqh is very, very clear on certain points, depending on the school. Mm-hmm. And as long, as long as, you know, you're well, well within those bounds, some of these things aren't e- even like, I mean, they're so. I mean, to me, they're obvious. Probably because I have, uh, you know, studied the basic fit. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, when they when they talk about these things, like, is that even a question? Like, to me, that's not a question, right? So uh, that's what I'm going to say about that. Now, the 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 last point that you mentioned was about like how, um, how is it that men who are goody two shoes, uh, they end up getting divorced? And and that is where we will have to open the can of worms that is attraction, mm-hmm. right? And and remember, and we're getting into you know the meat and potatoes. What actually said on right uh, on the uh, in the thread? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll come to that point where I mentioned that women have a roller co- emotional roller coaster, and um and 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 I have to I have to admit that I did not know about this until I actually read read it. It was. I, I would have to say that it wasn't it wasn't something that was modeled to me in a way that I could understand by my dad. Mm-hmm. So I had to read about it to f- to figure it out. And the idea is very simple, you know. Um, and uh, it, it, the idea is this: that women's reproductive biology. There is, you know, they call that period shark week for a reason like in in popular consciousness it's called shark week why is it called shark week the reason it's called shark week is because a woman is going through mood swings i mean this is incontestable mm-hmm. i i don't even have to say that this is something like i'm you know pulling out of thin air 
no, this is this is very real. Any married man who's observed his wife on her periods knows that this happens. It happens differently for everybody, but it happens. Mm-hmm. And that is that is part, the part and parcel of living with a, a woman that you have to understand that because and and you know so when I say something like that, people think of it as a as though I'm making a moral uh claim mm-hmm. i'm not making a moral claim here mm-hmm. it's a basic biological claim and i'm saying okay look the natures of men and women are different and they're different on account of their biology first and foremost mm-hmm. and neurology second and the emotional side of things and th- this is the reason why jordan peterson's um schema of order versus chaos you know that's why it's there right Women being, and, and you know, I was I was talking to somebody on Twitter who who said like Imam Al Ghazali's view was that women are agents of chaos. Just because something is an agent of chaos doesn't necessarily mean that there's a moral um, um, judgment here. So, um, right. take an example: mm-hmm. um, Hitler and Stalin are the quintessential examples of the tyranny of order. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, this is Jordan Peterson, this is classic Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. um, just because they were very orderly men, you know, that doesn't mean that they were the most moral of men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really need to go into the specifics to say how that is the case. These were definitely evil men. But the idea that somehow saying that something is an agent of chaos is attaching a moral significance to that that's you know to me that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. which is why you have like in, in in um in chinese mysticism the idea of the yin and the yang mm-hmm. you know there's there's a balance to it you know and and so so when i when i when i'm talking about a woman's chaotic nature that's actually you know it, it, if you apply the right morality to it that's actually a good thing you know what the, the prophet alayhi salam one of the most beloved things to him is is the women right mm-hmm. and you know and, and now if we a- attach to that the idea that there's a, a chaotic element to a woman's nature you know so something that was that is chaotic is made beloved to the prophet i mean i, I kind of like that idea i'm not sure <laughs> why there needs to be a, a a moral significance attached to that, right? So I have to preface my remarks there because when you mention chaos, everybody kind of loses their mind. You know, they, they think of the Joker and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they think that he's going to blow up a hospital or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, it, it, so we get into this whole, you know, uh, building attraction and one of the things that happens as a, as a, as a lack of that attraction is that couples then get into this. They think of intimacy then as a, um, as a transaction. It's okay. You do the dishes and then we're going to go to bed. Mm-hmm. But th- that's not how attraction actually works. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the means that you, as a man, you become attractive to your wife. Is to be to get in get ahead of that emotional roller coaster. Okay, the, you know part of it is language, mm-hmm. and that is that is another thing here that when you're communicating with females, 
language is a big part of it. Men have a, a, a you know, a very direct to the point visual sort of way of communicating. Mm. They communicate in a way that is, you know, that they see it. Okay, I see a duck. That is a duck. It's quacking. It's walking like a duck. It's quacking like a duck. It is a duck. You know, um, I don't know if you've seen that video where this couple's talking about how um, the woman has, uh, you know, she's got a lot of pressure and she has headaches. And then they zoom out from her face. There's actually a nail stuck in her head. Mm. And, uh, and, and the man's saying, well, if you just remove that nail, <laughs> your problems are good. And it's like, look, I don't want you to solve my problem for me. I just want mm-hmm. you to listen. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then that's part of it, right? Like it, yeah. the, the way a woman communicates is, I mean, you're using the English language. Mm-hmm. So obviously there is a level at which, at which communication is possible. But the fact that, you know, the mental maps a woman woman makes in her head are very different from the mental maps a man makes in her head mm-hmm. makes that makes that communication you know quite difficult and as divorce rates show that it is actually very very difficult so now we get to the next stage okay now i don't know how to get in ahead of my wife's um emotional roller coaster i'm not attractive to her turn into a duty I mean, yeah, I mean, at a certain basic level in our fiqh, we talk about that too, you know. But you know, to me, the, the idea is, is really abhorrent to say that, you know, the wife has to yield to her husband merely out of a sen- sense of religious duty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a large part of that and is, is, is a man's behavioral set that he has to exhibit in order to elicit attraction from his wife. Mm-hmm. We're getting really into the nitty gr- gritty of how attraction works. And well, we were going to get to it anyway. But my point is that if you're not going to be attractive to your wife, you're going to be, you know, you're not going to have a sense of what her emotional state is. And mm-hmm. um, you're not going to cater to that emotional state. Mm-hmm. You're going to lack intimacy from your wives. And mm-hmm. that is what leads to divorce. The number one thing mm-hmm. among Muslims, I think personally, is the lack of intimacy. Like the fact that they aren't able mm-hmm. to get that intimacy from their wives, and when it comes from their wives, it is out of a sense of duty rather than rather than a sense of attraction. Mm-hmm. It really, like it's it, 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 I, as a mm-hmm. man, I can tell you, it's one of the worst things in the world to be, That's you a, know. A, yeah, no, that's a fascinating perspective. I mean, I think a lot of what I'm hearing you say, or at least a part of it, is that people may be going into marriage with almost the expectation of some level of sameness, right? So even this generalized advice of be kind, be nice, that sort of thing. Um, but then these differences come about, but you can't really address them appropriately because you're not prepared for okay, a man who is distinctly a man or a woman who's distinctly a woman and how do you deal with women's emotions? How do you deal with how men are? How do people deal with those differences in a way that's beneficial? And it's interesting because I think the West answer is, well, we should all be more the same and we should help each other and divide things and all of that. 
Um, but but the answer may be to actually dive deeper into the masculinity and the femininity um, for that fundamental attraction. I think one hundred percent. And I want to I want to circle back to the um, the NY post uh, was it the NY Times or the NY Post that you were talking about, that you mm -hmm. did on a, yeah. on your blog. Yeah. Um, uh, that I, I I think I know the answer to to the question that's latent in that um, in that study. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very good book uh, called Hormonal by uh, I, I can't I, I think she is a um, she's some sort of a, a reproductive biologist if I'm not mistaken but she okay. her name's uh, Marty Hazelton. Mm -hmm. I, um, I can provide you the uh, references after. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is a book like that, that lists out all the the studies done on on this idea of attraction and what the hormones uh, involved in attraction are and so forth. And there's this one very very fascinating study about um, about uh, testosterone levels in a man's sweat and how attractive that um, that is to to women in general. So they they what they did was um, uh, you know, they got men to uh, to like a jog for twenty minutes or something, and their shirts are sweating. Mm -hmm. And um, they they test for testosterone levels before that, so they know that you know certain you know this person's got X level of testosterone, and this is his shirt. And it's a completely blind study where no the, the men don't have interaction with each other, and the men don't have interaction with the women, and the women don't have interaction with each other, and they don't have interaction with men. Mm -hmm. So then now they, they've piled this into the, the, the T-shirts into, you know, high testosterone and low testosterone. And they asked the women to rate which one they think is the more attractive person. Mm -hmm. And very consistently, it's the high testosterone T-shirts that mm -hmm. are, you know, that the women find attractive. They're, I mean, attraction, as I said, attraction has a science to it. And, and the key hormone here is, is testosterone. And what I want to connect that back to with respect to the uh, to the study that you had mentioned was that, that, that one of the reasons that attraction goes down is because men do not engage in what you would traditionally consider to be testosterone-fueled activities. Mm -hmm. Like, um, there's, a, there's other studies on this um, where, where they actually do look at what kind of chores that women find attractive. And it's mm -hmm. all your traditional outdoor stuff. They're working with their cars. They're building sheds in their backyards. You know, even lawn mowing. Mm -hmm. it's stuff that makes makes a man physically active is mm -hmm. what is more attractive to a woman. And and I think the clear relationship here with testosterone testifies to that, is that mm -hmm. if a man has healthy levels of testosterone, then a woman can be attracted to him. I, mm -hmm. I think this should be a no-brainer. Yeah, and it's a funny thing because I think, yeah, in a, in a sense, very obviously, if someone is, <laughs> I guess you have to say this these days, if someone is heterosexual, they're attracted to the opposite sex, the more that person can represent the ideal feminine or the ideal masculine, then of course, the more people are going to be attracted to them or the more within their, their couple, um, their, their spouse would be attracted to them. So I think I'll just pull out, you know, a couple of your tweets and maybe some of the commentary, um, and then inshallah we can we can end on that. 
So basically your, your thread, as we mentioned, was specifically two men from your experience being a husband. And I do want to just mention that I think there probably is not enough advice um, towards men. Basically the whole relationship field, relationship advice field is geared towards women. So I think even having the conversation, whether people agree or disagree is beneficial. So one, um, I'll read a couple of points. So let's start from six. Uh, becoming emotionally flustered because of her screeching is really unattractive to her. It's, it displays your weakness and that's what makes it unattractive. Never do this. So I think that this plays into your point, right, about um, the essentially the woman being attracted to the masculine. So if you almost play into what she is doing in her feminine role, then that in and of itself would make the man unattractive to her. Yes, precisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess I don't see much of an, I, you know, language is a, is a thing, right? So people may take offense to screeching and, and that sort of thing. Well, but and and that's, that's part of what I'm, the, the, the point right at the beginning, and this, is, this mm -hmm. has been my, my thing right from the get-go, and the other thread I had sent you as well, mm -hmm. is that the way men communicate, they're not going to get it until you actually paint a picture for them. Mm. You know, you can use all the buzzwords you want. A man is a very simple creature, right? As much as, much as you think, or not you specifically, but other, other people think that I'm, you know, dunking on the ladies. It is actually far more um, indict. Uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, far, far, far more embarrassing to say that a man is actually a really simple creature. Mm -hmm. They cannot think. I'm a, I'm a man. I know this. I cannot think without actually making pictures in my head. Mm, so okay. if somebody's words do not paint a picture in my head, mm. I am not going to get it. And this is generally the case with mm -hmm. men. You know, the whole idea, I just mentioned the video about the woman having a nail in the head. If you listen to, I'll send you the link, but if you listen to the conversation, he's very direct. He's very to the point. He has a behavioral you know, okay, just remove the, the nail from your head and your problems will go away. Whereas the woman is speaking in metaphors, like I have a headache and there's a lot of pressure. And, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, there's there's a fundamental, you know, difference in the way men communicate. Mm -hmm. These things should be obvious, but they are not. You, yeah. you would not believe. I, I work, um, I'm an engineer. I work mm -hmm. in a place where there are a fair number of women. You would not believe how millennials, millennium men talk to women. It is, it is utterly mind blowing mm. that you know they they because we've been fed this idea that you know men and women are basically the same. When millennial men talk to women, mm. they assume that they're talking to a man, and that mm. just is you know is is the saddest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree that that difference isn't there, the difference of approach. And I would have to say, from my own uh, theory, I think a part of the reason for, uh, what do they call this? Uh, man's, oh, a toxic masculinity. And yeah. I've written about this before. I think a part of the reason is that men of this generation, I suppose, they are sort of trained that, okay, men and women are the same. So you can talk to a woman how you talk to a man. 
it's how you talk to a man. And I think that because of that, as women, when we're experiencing men being men and not really shifting themselves at all uh, when they're around us, then it feels toxic and it feels aggressive. Even I was thinking about this idea of mansplaining. And I really have to think about, you know, there's a part of me that, that feels like the issue is that men can be aggressive in their speech and they're aggressive with each other. And so if they don't actively, when they're talking to a woman, tone it down a little bit, then we experience them as being aggressive. But they're, exactly. not, they're not particularly being aggressive to women, right? They're just not changing their tone, I think. And, and I've, I've spoken earlier about the, you know, the, the pre-cultural revolution way of doing things. And one of the good things about the, of that time is the idea that you were courteous to a lady. Right, right now is just a free for all. Right, there's <laughs> just no modulation of speech whatsoever, which is why all of this appears so you jarring know, for, for men. There's there's this idea. Um, uh, if if you hang, like, I, I know you don't, but if if you were to hang around what you would consider tradi- traditionally male spaces, like a gentleman's club or something like that, you know where they play cards. You know the, the idea that you know there's a the British idea of a gentleman's club where you play cards all day. You know the language is. I've seen it from religious men. I've seen it from shuyukh, that when they are in that, you know, informal setting, they will use really crude language. Mm-hmm. They they are able to put their guard down and they can speak freely with other men. Mm-hmm. This is the word for it is like locker room talk, right? right. The the fact you know that there's there's a certain crudeness to a way that a man speaks. And if he's not going to modulate his language when he's speaking to a member of the op- opposite gender, then you know th- we will have the problems in the public sphere. That I mean, every little thing, you know, they, the word they use, I think, is microaggression. Every little thing mm-hmm. that a man's going to say, a woman's going to perceive as as harassment. Whereas in his head, he's thinking, "Well, I thought we were the same, and mm-hmm. you know, what is wrong with my speech?" Mm-hmm. Right? Anything that you're going to say then is going to become um, become game for. Uh, is going to become a target, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're going to be held accountable for every single little thing that you're going to say, if you're going to assume, and uh, if you're going to assume that men and women are the same, and you're not going to mo- going to modulate their language based on right. gender, right? Yeah, and and that's a really good way we can turn to um, just some other Twitter stuff happening. So this is a thread that you sent me. I think it ties in well to this idea of equal rights that maybe we can end on because that is maybe part of the fundamental issue and this this equal rights thing it's very interesting to me and I've, I've given lectures about feminism and what I think is problematic on this issue is that even the, the term equal rights it just it's a good catch-all like it feels good it sounds right to us but when you think about it for a moment it really it either doesn't make sense or it is in desperate need of further explanation. So someone put this tweet that just said, said she wanted equal rights, had to make her pay for her own coffee, and that was that. I'm assuming that's a joke. I don't know. Uh, Someone retweeted it with commentary saying, "Um, in general, if I said to someone I want equal rights and his immediate thought is that he shouldn't pay for my coffee, then that's a real understanding of what the fundamental concern is for me, shows that he's ignorant. So I want to get into some of your commentary here. 
that I think is valuable. And, and the one thing I'll say is that as a woman, I know that when women say equal rights, they don't mean the coffee and they may not even mean the bills. They mean, you know, other things I suppose really, it's a difficult thing, but they, there are things they do mean and things they don't mean that aren't being said. So um, one of the things that you said um, is notice how he immediately interprets equal rights in um, articulable behavioral terms. You can imagine the scene right before your eyes. It's concrete and it's visual. Your tweet, on the other hand, keeps the definition of equal rights vague, almost as if you don't want men to know what these equal rights are so that you can keep shifting the goalposts when it suits you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with what either of you said. However, this just illustrates that the principle that men and women communicate in radically different ways. For men, communicating with a woman excites the same part of the brain that's associated with tool use. So I think those are interesting points. And maybe if you can just um, talk a bit further about just this sort of fundamental issue of equal rights, how that may hurt uh, harm in the marriage, maybe gender relations in general. And um, I don't know, just maybe, just maybe expanding on that a bit more. I thought that was an interesting conversation. Well, that, that particular conversation, I think the 800-pound gorilla in that conversation was the fact that nobody was defining what, what equal rights are. Right. But even I wasn't defining it. Right. And, and to me, when when you say equal rights, I mean, right off the bat, mm -hmm. when, and this is, again, I'm male. I think in terms of pictures. Mm -hmm. When you say equal, to me, the picture in my head is the mathematical equal sign. Mm -hmm. And right there, I think, wait, human relationships are not mathematics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Equality, I mean, I mean it, it is, a, is it a fundamental error on, on my part? Maybe it is, but my, my point is that I am going to interpret quote-unquote equal rights in a very different way than mm -hmm. women are going to interpret quote-unquote equal rights. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, man, uh, a man has certain inalienable uh, rights, and you know, the, the Declaration of Independence and so forth, um, and we, we Canadians have a, a sort of an equivalent that came about, uh, I don't know, two centuries later. Mm -hmm. uh, he, my immediate thought is, well, if I was born uh, without any cultural conditioning, I would not come to the con conclusion that humanity is equal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe that that is a, you know, I'm looking at it unfiltered. You know, I'm looking. At, you know, I'm looking at physical characteristics. Some people are tall. Some people are short. Some people are fat. Some people are skinny. Mm -hmm. Some people are jerks in their language, like I was. Mm -hmm. um, some people are very gentle in their speech. Mm -hmm. Some people are Hitler. Some people are Mother Teresa. Right. I have absolutely no empirical evidence to believe that human beings are created equal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then this uh, uh, this is like in, in in absence of cultural conditioning. Mm -hmm. So then the next step is well, okay. I mean, now the last stuff. I don't want to go into well, okay. You know, I, I'm kind of modulating the Sharia, but as mm -hmm. as as a thought experiment, let's say we are going to design a moral system for humanity, and we observe certain general differences among certain sets of people. One one being gender, the other being ethnicity. You mm -hmm. know how. 
uh, environmental conditions uh, uh, condition people um, condition people's behavior. You know, people in, in, in Pakistan are not the same as the people in Bangladesh. The people in Bangladesh are not the same as the people in you know Indonesia or something. Mm-hmm. If I am looking at it from a bird's eye view and I want to design a moral system that caters to every single one, I am going to have a very hard time trying to do it. Mm -hmm. Right? So right off the bat, the very idea that somehow rights have to be equal is, it it doesn't make sense to me. Right? And, And now since we're talking about gender, which is why I said, okay, well, what does this equal right thing look like? Right? I want to know what does it mean? How am I supposed to behave with my wife at home for this to be manifest? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Is it? Does it mean that she be allowed to go to work? Well, I never said that she can't go to work, mm-hmm. but she chooses to stay at home. Does that mean that you know? Okay, now now we already have an unequal for lack of a better term, an unequal relationship by virtue of the fact that I'm going, going to work and she's staying at home. Mm-hmm. Now, in this context, does it, is, it, is it equal rights if, if I come back home and then my wife says, well, here are the kids. I've done enough work. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've done enough child rearing for the day. Here are the kids. Now you handle them. Mm-hmm. Is that equal? Right? Like, I, I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the idea of equal. What what does it actually look like? What you know? Give me something concrete to play with. Mm-hmm. And I then know, it turns. You know, absolutely true. And then, you know, the eight hundred pound gorilla that I'm referring to in that particular conversation is the fact that let's face it, you know, the fact that in the Sharia, the women. Do, they have a right to divorce, but it is not unqualified like the man's right to divorce is. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that men are allowed to marry four women at the same time and that the women are not, that, I mean, you want to call that unequal? I mean, okay, go ahead, call that unequal. But in my mind, that's not really, you know, I'm thinking, well, it, it, it makes total sense because the man's nature is very different from the woman's nature. Do you really want a blank slate set of laws app- applied equally right across the board? You right. know, they say that you know um, the inheritance laws are unfair women, uh, unfair towards women. But um, you know, there was this tweet um, a year or so ago um, by Dr. Muhammad Rilan where he outlined that well, there's 14 cases in which the woman. Mm-hmm actually inherits more than the man does. Are you really sure you want to make this all equal? Mm-hmm. You know, the things happen on a case-by-case basis. And mm-hmm. and part of the reason that we we have Qadis, and, or we did at least, ha- was was to look at, you know, what the, what the cultural um, conditions are on the ground as opposed to, you know, the only, and this happens even in like Anglo countries, right? The whole idea that you have a Supreme Court is not that, it's not that this, the Supreme Court is going to apply a blanket law, you know, at least interpret the, the, the main laws in a blanket manner that's going to apply all over the, the country. The reason you have, uh, you know, um, bylaws and statutes and, you know, in our case, and, um, we have the provinces making their own laws is because conditions on the ground are very different everywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't have a blanket application of law. I mean, you, you, Western countries can 
you know, bandy on about equal rights whatsoever, you know, all the time, but it's not the case whatsoever. Like here in Canada, for example, you know, um, this whole thing, oh, Western countries have free speech and this and that. Well, here in Canada, anything you say in Parliament uh, is is protected, whereas anything you say out of Parliament is not protected. Mm-hmm. Is that equal? Like, is that equal right? You can you can be sued for hate speech if you say anything outside of Parliament, but if you're making the same statement inside as a member of parliament, inside the parliament, then you're not going to be sued. Is mm-hmm. that equal rights mechanism? Like, mm-hmm. like equal rights, end of discussion. We're not going to talk about this anymore. Mm-hmm. And that in my mind is like, okay, you want to shut the conversation down by referring to this vague thing called equal rights. Then, okay, you want to shut the conversation down. And then, you know, then when men get upset about this and, you know, you want to cry about that. And okay, go ahead. You know, then, then you know, there's this movement um, called "Men Go Go Their Own Way." Yeah, it's a very funny movement. And mm-hmm. basically, these guys have decided that women are not worth it. We're going to stay celibate, right. and we're just going to do whatever you want to do. Right? We're not going to. Is that really the future that we we want? <laughs> no. Men and women have to get. You know, from 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 a Muslim point of view, from from a Sharia point of view, from 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 a Qasawaf point of view. Mm-hmm. Perfection lies in the union of the order and the mm-hmm. chaos, mm-hmm. not in the separation of the order and the chaos. You know, right. I mean, I mean, I'm getting super mystical here, but the idea is that it, marriage is a sunnah, right? Mm-hmm. We cannot ignore that. If you want, if you want to behave the way you are behaving, referring to ladies talking about vague equal rights, and fine, go ahead. There is a future, and you're not going to like that future. Mm-hmm. We already have, um, you know, women in these high-powered corporate positions complaining that they don't have good men to marry. Right. Okay. Right. Well, you made you made your bed. Now lie in it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. are other men responsible for that? No, they're not. Mm-hmm. You, you want? I'm not saying don't go and get get high-powered corporate jobs. I'm saying mm-hmm. you have to understand the consequences of what you're asking. Yeah, and I th- it's a very it's a difficult thing because I feel like you have to say so many other things for people to not take it the wrong way. But I do get what you're saying that um, I think that right now there is this sort of a sentiment or approach where women talk about their rights and and uh, all of that, uh, but when men really have an opinion on any of this stuff that that goes any. Um, that even, I don't know, slightly veers away from absolute support. Uh, the general thing is just to silence and tell men what to do. And the reality is that even a lot of men do feel intimidated in this climate from, from speaking uh, what they believe to be true. Um, the Like you said, with the MGTOW movements and so many other, even just women who are in, in the non-Muslim world, who are in these relationships forever and they don't get married the men don't marry them uh men are deciding through their behavior i think (laughs) that they don't like what is happening you know right even if they're intimidated from speaking up oh that's absolutely meant the the one thing that man is does (laughs) the one thing the man does is act Mm -hmm. you know right and and you know, you can say that that's a kind of a limited thing, but then the man is limited, whether it's a woman, human beings are limited. Right. The gender generalities that we speak of, a man 
mass, you know, a male person to use a neutral term here, mm-hmm. um, is limited in the sense that he doesn't have feminine characteristics. Mm-hmm. That is an imperfection. Mm-hmm. The woman, a female person, is limited in that she has feminine characteristics and does not have male characteristics. Mm. Right? It, 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 uh, so, so when when women do certain things that may or may not be in line with their feminine characteristics, but the men don't like, men the men's agency is limited to what their fundamental nature is. And that fundamental nature is that they will act. Mm. And in this case, they're not they're not talking; they're acting. Right. The reason something like MGTOW or pickup artistry or any of these co-free ideas exist mm-hmm. is, is, you know, that they are behavioral. <laughs> the men men want to act. And they are, gonna, they are going to make their voice heard simply by taking action. Mm-hmm. Women are going to talk about it in the public sphere. And you notice in that thread, all they wanted to do was talk about it. The man wanted to act. Mm-hmm. And, and this, is, this is the divide. Right, right. Yeah. How do you get past that is the question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do we really want to go in that direction where if women get everything that they want, whereas men, whereas the men, their, their active voice, for lack of a better term, is not heard, mm-hmm. and then you have a separation of, of the genders? Do you, is that future that you really want? Now, I, I tend to put this in historical terms. I right? like, Hmm. There have been three or four times in history where society has completely broken down, hmm. right? It, 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 you know, civilization goes through, uh, you know, some sort of a pattern of breakdown and then building back up again and then breakdown and building back up again. Mm-hmm. And right now what we're seeing is a breakdown of society. I don't know if it's going to get to, you know, those that kind of situation that 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 we we see at the end of um, the Western Empire, the Western Roman Empire, where things had completely broken down, and you know all the Germanic tribes had taken control over Europe and so forth, and completely chaotic situation. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but certainly the signs are there now that there is a breakdown of the international order. God forbid that we have to go back to a tribal system. Mm-hmm. To you know the where, whether it's the Arab tribal system or the Turkic tribal system or the Mongolic tribal system, God forbid that we have to go there because if we have to go go there, and the men are they carry that resentment towards women um, mm-hmm. that that they're experiencing now, you know, putting it in very visual, concrete, hard terms. Will the men want to protect the women? We are heading towards those times, and those are going to be dark times. And I don't think that mm-hmm. this this um, this divide that has happened, this quote unquote gender war that is going on, equal rights, non equal rights, or what what have you, mm-hmm. that is that is not going to be helpful. In fact, it's going to be counterproductive towards the times that we're headed in. We're we're looking at a breakdown of international order. Look at Chaz. You know what Chaz is. You know the you Capitol Hill that. Autonomous Zone, okay, in Seattle, mm-hmm. with with the whole uh, uh, the BLM protests going on. So this rapper, uh, what's his name, Raz Simone, he mm-hmm. kind of took over a couple of blocks, and he's he's posted mm-hmm. sentries around and so forth. Mm-hmm. Where does that happen? 
um, unless you know uh, the uh, the governing international order breaks down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is breaking down, whether we like it or not. Europe going completely um, right wing to the mm-hmm. to, to to the most extreme possible end of the spectrum. That is a breakdown of the uh, of the liberal um, uh, international order. And once it's not a question of if; it's a question of when that order breaks down. Do you really think that men who carry resentment towards women are going to want to care about protecting links? Because, mm-hmm. but it's plain fact. Once we get down, once we get down to a place where society is completely broken down and it's all about physical power. Do you really want to see that future where men don't protect the women? Right. I mean, I'm going all woo-woo and mystical yeah, yeah, here yeah. and talking <laughs> about the future. But, like, it's always my, – my personal heuristic here is to always look at the darkest possible future mm. and then prepare against that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we prepared rather than, you know, catch yourself off guard? Right, right. Wow. So alhamdulillah, I think we got to explore a lot in this conversation. And I think it's important that we are able to discuss, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call your idea fringe, but maybe someone would would say it's right on the edge. But uh, unpopular opinions, I think it's it's valuable to discuss. And especially when it comes to gender, because this gender stuff, it's just it's gotten so far away from the fundamentals that I think it is valuable to just try to go back to the basics sometimes. And when it comes to marriage, alhamdulillah, you've been married for, for 12 years. I think it's valuable that we do get perspectives, not just on the fic and not just on the romantic stuff, but on all the aspects of marriage um, that anyone can advise people who are uh, probably most of us in the West are in need of that advice. So inshallah, Tala, uh, if you wanted to say anything else, please do, and then we'll just close out. I don't think I have much to say other than saying, okay. you know, the, 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 get back to the basics. What mm-hmm. does the Quran say about the feminine and the masculine? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the verse is, right? Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Where, wherever a man has to deal with a woman, wherever a woman has to deal with the man. And let's face it, we're not living in, you know, uh, 18th century Baghdad or something like that, where everything is cloistered and women don't get to see the men and the men don't get to see the women. You are going to have interactions, whether you like it or not. Half the population of the world is women. So the men, Mm -hmm. if they think that they are dealing with just another man in the form of a person who's got long hair and, uh, and a feminine um, physique, you're making a mistake. Right? And, and the same assumption has to carry into a marriage as well. You're not married to another man. You're not, I mean, unless you're you know, a homosexual or something. But if and when we're talking to Muslims here, mm-hmm. do not assume that the other party in, the, in, in that relationship is, uh, is similar to you. No, they're not. And that is the fundamental that has to be kept in mind. And all your behaviors have to be modulated all your speech has to be modulated with respect to that assumption mm-hmm. and if if you internalize that you're going to go you know a lot further than uh, the average person mm-hmm. and i'll just end at that
Okay, alhamdulillah. So if you want to follow Ahsan, then you can go on Twitter at Ahsan uh, Irfan1985 if you want to check that out. Please be sure to follow us on social media at Nerdy Night or at Fig and Olive Vlog. Thank you for listening and take care.